Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. What's that? No musical opening? What is happening? Good dystopian day to all you sinners out there, and welcome to this week's episode of Science Factual. I'm your host, Reese Hendrick, and today we take a look at the epic DC Vertigo graphic novel series Transmetropolitan by writer Warren Ellis and designer Derek Robertson. Transmet comes as a suggestion from this week's guest, the very funny Aaron Harleman. We met up before the Groaners Showcase at Funhouse Lounge in Southeast Portland to chat in the mobile studio, aka my car, about the series, which is now firmly set in my top five desert island choices. Make sure you stick around for the end of this episode for Aaron's set from the Portland's Funniest Person competition. He's a funny fella, and I love him for it. For those of you who are wondering just what the heck I'm talking about, Transmetropolitan is a cyberpunk transhumanist comic book series written by Warren Ellis and co-created and designed by Derek Robertson, which chronicles the personal and public battles of Spider-Jerusalem, infamous renegade gonzo journalist of the future. The monthly series began in July 1997 and concluded in September of 2002 and spanned 60 issues, which were later reprinted in an array of 10 trade paperback volumes. Also featured are two specials, I Hate It Here and Filth of the City, with text pieces written by Spider-Jerusalem and illustrated by a wide range of comic artists. The series was originally published under DC Comics' then-new science fiction Helix imprint, when the Helix line was discontinued, Transmetropolitan was the only series of the line that had not been cancelled, and was switched to the Vertigo imprint starting with issue number 13. The entire set of trade paperbacks are now published under the Black Label line. In July 2015, Vertigo began releasing Transmetropolitan in the premium hardcover Absolute Edition format. I want that! The first volume included issues 1 through 18, the second volume published in May 2016 included issues number 19 through 36, and the third volume contains issues 37 through 60, which was published in December of 2018. Before we get too deep into the fact cesspool at the heart of the city, here's a synopsis of the events that span the entire series. So, I guess I should spark off a Molotov SPOILER ALERT! SPOILER ALERT! to lob into the mix. I will be doing some rapid-fire facts about Spider-Jerusalem and the creators, but I really wanted to lay out the events of the series in order to entice you into experiencing it for yourself. It's a superb read, and just visually stunning work. I want to be stereotyped. I want to be classified. Sometime in the future, how long precisely is never specified but said to be in the 23rd century, Spider-Jerusalem, retired writer-journalist and bearded hermit, lives within an isolated, fortified mountain hideaway. Following a call from his irate publisher demanding the last two books per his publishing deal, Jerusalem is forced to descend into the city. Jerusalem returns to work for his old partner and editor Mitchell Royce, who now edits The Word, the city's largest newspaper. His first story is about an attempted secession by the transient movement, people who use genetic body modification based on alien DNA to become a completely different species, and are forced to live in the Angels 8 slum district. The leader of the movement, Fred Christ, is paid to incite a riot and provoke the police who use it as an excuse to clear out Angels 8. However, Jerusalem publishes a story revealing the truth and brutal methods used by the police. Soon, Royce publishes it live all over the city, and the public outcry forces the police to withdraw. 
Jerusalem is brutally beaten by the police on his way home, but defiantly says he's here to stay. The first year of the series consists of a set of one-off stories exploring the city, Jerusalem's background, and his often tense relationship with his sidekicks Yelena Rossini and Shannon Yarrow, referred to as his filthy assistants, who as the series progresses become full-time partners in his journalistic battles. The main storyline of the series, the election and corrupt presidency of Gary Callahan, or The Smiler, begins in the series' second year and lasts for the rest of its run. Spider initially considers Callahan the lesser evil compared to the incumbent president, known as the Beast, but his investigation into Callahan's past and ties with a right-wing hate group leads to Callahan having his own campaign manager, Vita Severn, a friend of Jerusalem's, murdered. In a one-to-one -one meeting, Spider realizes that Callahan is not merely corrupt, but a complete lunatic who wants to be president solely to hurt people with his new powers. To Jerusalem's horror and disgust, the people vote Callahan into office by a wide margin. When he goes off on that tirade after the results come in, it is one of the best blow-ups in comic book history. Once elected, Callahan begins to use his presidential power to torment Jerusalem, the source of his trouble, during the campaign. Jerusalem narrowly escapes a police massacre of people protesting how a recent hate crime was investigated. The police refuse to release video of the incident because it reveals several police officers watching the crime occur without interfering. Sounds familiar? Jerusalem writes a story revealing the truth about the crime and subsequent engineered massacre, but Callahan spikes it via D-notices, government censorship of stories that could embarrass the country and the Callahan administration. After being informed of this, Jerusalem leaks the story via a straight-text news feed site called The Hole and follows it up with an article exposing Callahan's corrupt circle of advisors, one of whom is a pedophile. When Royce runs the story, Callahan forces the paper's board of directors to fire Jerusalem, who make an agreement to publish his future stories within The Hole. <laughs> Callahan arranges for the city to be left defenseless from a hurricane-like near-near-near-ruin storm, an actual ruin storm can skin anyone who's caught in it, uh, that ravages the city and kills thousands, using the chaos to destroy the evidence Jerusalem has gathered against him, and places the city under martial law after the storm ends. Royce reveals that he had archived most of Jerusalem's evidence and delivers it to him on disc, but during the storm, Jerusalem collapses and is diagnosed with an incurable degenerative neurological illness with similar symptoms to Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, caused by constant exposure to the now-defunct informational substance known as eye pollen. With about a year before dementia renders him dysfunctional and only a 1% chance of escaping this fate, Jerusalem increases his vendetta against Callahan, ultimately exposing his evil deeds and bringing the president down. In the final issue's epilogue, Jerusalem returns to his mountain home. Royce comes to visit, and the assistants show him around the house while explaining that Jerusalem's disease is progressing. In the garden, Jerusalem tells Royce that the disease is so advanced that he cannot even light his own cigarettes, and he forgets one day out of seven. When Royce leaves, Jerusalem pulls out a package of cigarettes and what appears to be a handgun. It looks to be that he's placing the barrel under his chin until it is revealed in the next panel that it's a lighter. He lights the cigarette and then spins the lighter on his finger, suggesting that he was in fact one of the 1% of patients who do recover from the disease and is now merely faking his illness so he may enjoy his retirement in peace. I want to be stereotyped. I want to be classified. Despite how well-delivered and detailed that synopsis may have been, the series just can't be done justice without not only a read, but a reread as well. If you haven't been radicalized against the status quo by then, at least. 
You can find used copies online as well as your local comic book store, so please do not buy this amazing series on Amazon or eBay or Borders.com or something, not even ironically. Deal? Alrighty, incoming rapid-fire facts about the protagonist, Spider-Jerusalem. When Robertson originally drew Spider, only a few tattoos could be seen here and there among his various stages of dress and undress. As the series progressed, both through his illustration of Ellis's writing and the natural evolution of Spider's personality, the tattoos became more than just a few decorative details. In fact, Robertson created so many tattoos for Spider that he eventually had to draw them all on an action figure just to keep track of what they were and where they were placed. Speaking of tattoos, one in particular often receives a lot of speculation on its meaning, since it's one of only two that actually has words, the other being kiss me on his butt cheek, uh, which is pretty self-explanatory. The word poti, P-O-T-I, is seen on his right shoulder blade inside a circular design. At first glance, it resembles a 1960s campaign button, but Spider's not one to sell out to politics. Turns out the design is the logo for a soda company, one that was paying kids to get their logo tattooed on them as part of a marketing ploy, the first scheme Spider uncovers while in his teens. Spider Jerusalem's red and green glasses are a rather significant part of his appearance, but it's easy to forget how he came to look the way he does when you're so used to it. You probably haven't thought twice about them or where they came from. As you might remember, he didn't have them with him on the mountain, they were made by a machine in his apartment one who happens to be deep down the rabbit hole on hallucinogens. Not that Spider does anything about the product that it pumps out. I guess that says more about Spider than anything else. While Spider doesn't necessarily encompass nihilism in all senses of the word, he does fit somewhat into the political and existential nihilist spectrum. He's a slave to no one and to no ideology, instead choosing to remain skeptical in search of the truth. Sadly, most of his disbelief in the meaning of anything comes from the city's culture of political and social apathy in favor of consumerism. When faced with nihilism, he can only become a nihilist himself in order to effect change. It comes as no surprise that there are a lot of people who want Spider dead. And for good reason. When you're hellbent on telling the truth, you're probably going to piss a lot of people off along the way. Plus, he isn't the most pleasant person to be around. Aside from killing his ex-wife, he also kills a bunch of assassins and the like who come to his apartment or attempt to hunt him down and try to kill him. In issue number 38, Yelena asks him just how many people he's actually killed. He answers 16, but that they were all pretty much in self-defense except for one. He never does admit who that one was. Okay, so there have been a lot of instances where Spider narrowly escapes death due to someone or something trying to kill him. However, the moment when he really cheated death came at the very end of the series when he's diagnosed with information pollen-induced Alzheimer's. As I just got into with the synopsis, we see the scene where he can't even light his own cigarette, supposedly, with that scene concluding with the nod at the end where he actually can light his own cigarette and happens to be part of the 1% of people who recover. Now, aside from being just a lucky bastard, Spider was first dusted with information pollen at the Farsight community, which exists somewhere outside of the present moment. Because of this, and the fact that they have supposedly found a way to prevent the Alzheimer's-like effect, he's saved from what would otherwise be certain death. Just wanted to add that as a point of clarification as to why he ended up actually surviving. Also, the Farsight community is that transhumanist colony that I was talking about in the actual uh, breakdown of the series. You know what? Just, just go, go and read the series. Seriously, go and read the series. Like, don't even listen to the end of this episode. Go read this series. Alright, if you're still with me, here's some background behind creator Warren Ellis and designer Derek Robertson. 
Warren Ellis is a British comic book writer, novelist, and screenwriter. He is best known as the co-creator of several original comic series, including Transmetropolitan, Global Frequency, Red, Red 2, and he's also the author of the novels Crooked Little Vein and Gun Machine and the novella Normal. A prolific comic book writer, Ellis has written several Marvel series as well, including Astonishing X-Men, Thunderbolts, Moon Knight, and the Extremis story arc of Iron Man, which was the basis for the Marvel Cinematic Universe film Iron Man 3. Ellis created The Authority and Planetary for Wildstorm, and wrote a run of Hellblazer for Vertigo and James Bond for Dynamite Entertainment. Ellis also wrote the video games Hostile Warriors, Cold Winter, and Dead Space, which is one of my favorites. He also wrote the animated TV movie G.I. Joe Resolute, and served as the head writer on the acclaimed animated Netflix series Castlevania. Ellis is well known for sociocultural commentary, both through his online presence and through his writing, which covers transhumanist and folkloric themes, often in combination with each other. He is a humanist and former patron of Humanist UK, a charity focused on promoting humanism and advancing secularism. He is a resident of Southend-on-Sea in jolly old England. The visual side of Transmet lies with Derek Robertson, who is an American artist best known for his work as a comic book illustrator on Transmetropolitan, as well as The Boys, which recently got a live-action treatment on Amazon Prime Video. Robertson has illustrated hundreds of comics in his 20-plus years in the industry, and his body of work ranges from science fiction characters of his own creation to work of renowned classic characters from Marvel and DC Comics alike. Robertson created his first comic book at the age of 17 while still in school and also working as a bill collector. Many small press black and white books featuring anthropomorphic heroes were seeing sudden critical and commercial successes in the wake of Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Which I got into with Juan Denmark for episode 41. Go check that episode out on Spotify and on the Shady Pines Radio archives. Alrighty, folks, up next we have an awesome interview with Portland comedian Aaron Harleman. I'd just like to say that I have not met a gentler, more confident man of my generation than Aaron, and I mean that with the utmost sincerity. You'd be so lucky to encounter him in life. Anyway, here we are, sitting in my car. I thought Benifer was uh, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. I was, was it? Oh, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, because they're back. They're back together. It's fine. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And the world is a better place for it. Yeah, or not. not. I don't. I, <laughs> we're on the tip-top trajectory right now. Yeah. Yeah. So long as Benifer is intact. Yeah. Or like Bob Jolina, when it was oh, uh, Billy Bob Thornton and yeah. Angelina Jolie. I don't know if they were yeah. actually Bob Jolina. No, I mean they would be in this day and age. I think they might have. Uh, been together right before that became a popular thing. Sure. The, yeah, they yeah. were like, they they just missed that. Right. That and a flashing uh, the cameraman as you got out of your limo. <laughs> around the oh, same sure. Time. That's so true. Yeah. <laughs> there were a lot of upskirts in the early 2000s. Yeah. By design or by accident. Well, learning all sorts of things. And that not that what life's all about? No. Life's about dying. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is Aaron Harleman. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, dude. Uh, yeah. No problem. It's, uh, yeah. it's going to be fun. 
Yeah, absolutely. We're here to talk about Transmetropolitan. Yes, the graphic novel. The graphic novel. Yes. And I appreciate you bringing it to my attention because for the amount of graphic novels I've read, it's one that I haven't touched. Oh, For yeah. the same reason I'm just getting into Saga, it's a lot. Oh, yeah, it's a, heavy, it's it's, a heavier one It's sure. thick as fuck, but I will say this. I want the Absolute Edition. Oh, yeah. It, it looks so good. I mean, I, I typically don't read things until they come out as completed editions. Uh, sure. Yeah, if it's if it's not, like, if it's a serial and it's coming out, like, monthly, I'm just not interested in, until it comes out in the whole graphic novel collection. Is that the equivalent of waiting for streaming series? I mean, I've been doing it since before that was a thing. Okay. So. They're just copying. Cool guy code. over here. Yeah. <laughs> Look out, folks. We're coming at you yeah. real cool. Yeah. Super off the cool. top. Super uh-huh. cool guys. <laughs> well, before we get too far into the series itself, Aaron, what's your Instagram? Uh, it's just my name, all lowercase one word. So at A-A-R-O-N-H-A-R-L-E-M-A-N. That's at Aaron Harleman. Very cool. Okay. And we can check. That's you post where like yeah, your, your I got stuff. some I got some good reels going up uh, lately. We've been getting a few. It's all about the reels. I know. Yeah, it's all about you, the reels. You're not doing reels. You're not getting followers. That's a, that is that's why I'm not getting followers. I'll, yes, keep, I'll keep that in that's mind. That's why. Yes, <laughs> it has nothing to do with the excessive amount of Hitler material. No, but yeah, the, I mean he's part of this graphics novel. So. Yeah, the Necronomicon that is Transmetropolitan. Yeah, dude, I love this story. It's really good. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's everything that I wish I could do in rebellion against like our society. It's a great fantasy. Yes. Yeah. It is a beautiful fantasy because it, it's how most people would love to react to the injustices and the bullshit they see around them, mm. and they they get a character who he's just able to expose what's going on. He's not able to do anything himself, uh, which is very feels. It's a rough superpower. Yeah, but it's Because I wouldn't like, call it a superpower. But, but every, like, you every, know what I mean? Like, if you're thinking about it in, in comic book terms or DC oh, yes. kind of like universe terms, like, if yeah. his if his superpower is... To reveal the truth. <laughs> to reveal the truth but not be able to do anything about it, like, yeah. that's, that's so rough. But it feels very uh, poignant to, like, the current time we're in, because, like, everybody's out there trying to, like, share what the truth is. Sure. And it's all become so diluted that nobody fucking can basically and or they, even knows what the truth is right because right? yeah. it's become so subjective yeah, yeah. but the, then you have this one guy whose superhero power is to a- actually be able to absolutely convey the truth to the people and it's uh yeah it's why it's why it's a fantasy that like really resonates yeah and what a cool name spider jerusalem is one of those names yeah, every uh, name it, of this book is pretty is, cool. Yeah, they are pretty rare. <laughs> Even the lame characters have kind of cool names. Or like the nicknames, like the Beast or the Smiler. Yes. Is such a caricature, caricaturization of those personality types, but I fuck, mean, it's done so well. Almost every character in this book is a character. Yeah. yeah. A, a caricature. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, and I, I love the, uh, just like the nature of the flow of the issues as well. Yeah. I love the advertisements that are put in and the way that the world is frameworked in. There's so much context provided. Yes, it's very much uh, similar to uh, Blade Runner in that aspect. Sure. That you can see the whole world laid out before you in just a few frames. Oh, Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, Yeah, it's very visually dependent. I mean, yeah, yeah, obviously it's a graphic novel, but like they they fit so much much into, yeah, yeah, especially like the, the, you know, the covers and. I, I love the yeah. cover art and the, the a mass amount of artists who participated across all of the issues. I mean, like it's it's just an impressively done thing, yeah. and like it, it just it feels like such a complete world. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you would totally buy into this. And a lot of it is the world building. Sure. Yeah. I want to jump right into it, but I do sure. have questions for you. Yeah. Um, so what was your first exposure to science fiction? So my first exposure to science fiction that I can recall and was like a significant thing in my life yeah. was uh, my mom watched... Star Trek Next Gen all yeah. the time. Yes. And so I, I was limited to one hour of uh, my personal TV time a day. So if I got to watch something else and it was something as cool as Star Trek, I was just like, yeah, hell yeah. I mean, yeah. So I watched a lot of that. I well, thought, th Thank you, Aaron, for yeah. being literally like the first person, I think besides Marisha Halprich. Oh, really? To say, yeah, like Star Trek. And specifically, I think it was also TNG that, that was like a major influence on her, like growing up in sci-fi. Sure. And it, yeah, so because it's always Star Wars. Which I, I oh, love really? Star Wars, but like I if I, I listen back over a number of like interview starts, yeah, over half the time people are like, yeah, it must have been Star Wars, you know. Oh, I mean, my intro to Star Wars probably came shortly after Star Trek, but it sure. was never as significant. My intro to Star Wars was like we would go over to my parents' friends' Christmas party, and they would throw all the kids like down in the uh, the study that was like under where the party was happening, and they just put on the Star Wars trilogy and just let us chill. Down nice. there, yeah, but well, yeah. I mean, and that's always a fun time. Don't get me wrong. No. It's just like I find it shocking, like that. That's that's so ubiquitous because there is so much more to science fiction than Star Wars. Right. Coming from a guy who did five episodes in a row about it for the entire month of May, go check those out at oh, Science Factual. Pod. You did a whole month of did a whole month. Oh of wow. It, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, I, there's a lot of it. It was a yeah. cram too. So like next sure. next year, I'm just going to do the one like May the Fourth be with you episode, but. Yes, yeah, no, something it's something to revisit. Sure. Yeah. It, like, for me, like, my first exposure to science fiction was Frankenstein. <clears throat> oh, really? Yeah, in in, uh, in movie format, and then I read it later in life. But, like, it took me a while to think about that because, you know, it, at, the, at the end of the day, it is, like, that proto-example of science fiction in a pop culture sense. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, my actual exposure to like first thing was probably something far less significant than star trek it's probably some cartoon or some but but vi like visual media like what stuck with you is yeah TNG. that's yeah. for sure yeah. for sure hey if you ever want to come to star trek trivia by the way it's thursdays at growler's tap room at 8 30 oh i would i would be surprised if i was any good at it but i might uh have some stuff hey, stuck in my know, brain that's right yeah you <laughs> yeah. would be the ringer dude yeah, I, mean, I had a bunch of friends who played Star Trek, the next generation card game. Okay. They came out for a while and was discontinued. So that like, is a hefty nerd maneuver. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I was I was playing Magic, but uh, okay. were, it's, a friend of mine started playing that, and I was just like, all right, nerds. Because you're, 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 you're an elder millennial. I'm as old as you can get and still be a millennial. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, right. Uh, 1982. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, so graduated. Uh, in 2001, which is like that's considered the cutoff line. Yeah, basically. yeah. I graduated in 2007, so you're yeah, you're yeah. you're like you know, I'm as, just, yeah, just yeah, I'm borderline. You, you were playing Magic when like it was like you would go to tournaments. Oh yeah, I started playing at like 10 years old. Yeah, and so I've been through high school. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, yeah, and I got I got fairly good at it. I qualified for the Pro Tour at one point, but okay, that's not what we're talking. About. I no, that's well. I mean, <laughs> yeah. hey, that is pretty rad though that yeah. you qualified for the Pro Tour. I didn't get to go. I had to go to Iraq instead because I was in the Marine Corps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> dream crusher, dream crusher, Marine Corps. <laughs> yeah. Oh, terrible. I was like, I'll represent you. I'll wear my uniform, and they're like, what? Shut up and shut up and go to the sand. And I was like, all right. <laughs> well, we're glad you're back. Yeah. Uh, what was it? <laughs> it was a while ago. <laughs> what was your first exposure to comic books? Comic books, just like a couple of friends had them, but then I started collecting. I, like I saw my friends had them, and I wanted some, so we went to the local comic book shop, and I picked up uh, the only issue that was a first issue, 
uh, that had just come out like that month, and it was the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, tight. With uh, Vance Astro and Yondu uh, and Charlie 27 and Nikki and Star-Lord and Alita and all that, like the old old school crew before it got like the popular reinterpretation that it has today. Uh, and I bought every single one as they came out every month. Part of my allowance went to that every month. Nice. And yeah, it was, uh, I think I, I've still got them all tucked away somewhere, but they're not in great that, condition. That original story arc's a bit darker. Yeah, it's like uh, a lot of, or all of the human and like human shoot-off races have like become extinct, basically. Right. And they're or like, are hunted, yeah. Yeah, and they're the last survivors of the, the Earth and everything. Yeah. But it's a great intro to the rest of the Marvel Universe, because it's like set a thousand years in the future and they're just like exploring like what happened to Marvel Universe's legacy so like they mm. run into Wolverine's children basically they run into like people who have taken on Stark's technology oh uh, yeah so like all their different lineages like branching off and, yes, and what, yeah. what and, that end up like in the future right and they're chasing uh, they're chasing after like the legendary shield of I can't remember what it was called exactly but it just turns out to be Captain America's shield uh, huh. yeah so it's That's just funny. like they're exploring like the history of uh, the Marvel Universe through its future. Solid. Yeah, it's pretty okay. sweet. Cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. So how did you come across Transmetropolitan then? Uh, so when Mouse won the Pulitzer Prize, mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's pretty sick, but what are some other like highly acclaimed uh, graphic novels that are out there? And so mm-hmm. I just like looked up a list online. I love Mouse. I mean, to say I love Mouse, is, is that's not the right yeah, yeah. thing. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I, I, I highly appreciate it, and Mouse too. Yeah, but I was just yeah. looking for, like... Because I was, I was mostly into, like, just regular, like, superhero BS up until that point. And mm-hmm. then I started finding things like Transmetropolitan and all the Neil Gaiman stuff. Sure. Uh, Love Neil Gaiman. Yeah, and just, like, the heavier, more significant graphic novels that were out there. And, I'm hesitant yeah. to watch the Sandman adaptation. It's, it's decent. It is? Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's very BBC-ish, mm. if you know what I mean. I like, do. Yeah. Yeah. It's well enough done and not like as cheesy as Doctor Who or whatever like that. Uh, and it, it's just, yeah, it's uh, fairly well adapted. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But people that's, that's people I know who are huge Salmon fans still said it was good. Because so. good, good Omens was pretty good, too. Yeah. And I didn't check that out, but yeah. I heard good things about pretty, it, too. Pretty solid. Also yeah. very BBC-ish. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They have a type. <laughs> they sure do. Yeah. So, uh, getting back to Transmet. All right, let's 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 dive right into this, bitch. Um, who, who is your favorite character? This may seem like an obvious question. Why, you think it's Spider? No, I, well, that's my answer. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, mine is uh, Royce Mitchell, his boss. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because... <laughs> because he puts it, up with a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah, he, he takes all the shit, he deals with it. And it, literally, the story couldn't happen without him, because he yeah. gets Spider out of living in the country and just doing his own thing. That's true. Yeah, and so he's got to deal... He's got to wrangle, like, a Hellcat that's, like, been lit on fire and yeah. doused in gasoline. There's no way that anything happens out of him, but he still manages to just, like persevere through this situation with the spider that's mm-hmm. like it should be impossible for any new, normal human being like his superpower is being able to wrangle spider right yeah, yeah. <laughs> well imagine having to wrangle the cyberpunk hunter s thompson yes exactly. like, you know like, it's, like I, I couldn't i couldn't do it but we'll, we'll Nothing, get we're, yeah. that's a, that's another question yeah. that i do have which we'll get to but okay so royce mitchell it's I know it's a weird pick. But no, no, like, that's yeah. a great pick actually, and I like your reason. That's a it's a solid reason. Yeah. Who do you identify with the most? If it's not Royce, it's not okay. because I I can't really say that I identify 
with any character in this story exactly, like different aspects of them. You'd like to be idealistic and like, oh, I'm like Spider and I like, I want to be a revolutionary sure, and I want to like yeah. implicate change, but just like Hunter S. Thompson and him are both impossible caricatures to live up to. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. that's that's why, like, I mean, Johnny Depp did an okay job. I feel like Bill Murray did a better job. Oh, when they portrayed him and in Hunter S. Thompson yeah. and, and where the Buffalo Realm. I can only think of maybe a handful of people who could who else could play Hunter S. Thompson, let alone Spider Jerusalem. There was going to be a film adaptation where Patrick Stewart was going to narrate him. Oh, really? Yeah, which did not get funded. Yeah, that's interesting. (laughs) I don't think that'll... Like, if somebody ever successfully films this, I will be astounded. Well, the tech would be cool. I think, like, it would rely a lot on CGI. And I I know I I mentioned Altered Carbon a lot on this for never having having covered it. I do mention a lot on this podcast. Sure. But, like, I can see that type of cyberpunk world, but way more filthier, like... Oh, I don't mean in the aspect of the the, the capacity, the, the, no, the no, visuals. No, sure, no, I, I know, but I'm just saying, like, but that that ability, I think, would allow for if the story were written really well and it was casted really well. Sure, I just don't think maybe. any corporation should be behind it. No, it I, would, well, be, that would be able would, to back it, really. Well, first off, <laughs> yeah. it would be, it yeah. would it's very be counterintuitive yeah. to them. And, if yeah. there was enough money in it for somebody, sure, but that, uh, that would be a hard sell for Well, it, it'd be thick with irony yes. out of the press <laughs> if it were ever made, for Christ's sake. I mean, they could do what they did to want it and just entirely change everything about it. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Just like, oh, it's... It's actually a story about how bullets go around things. So dumb. <laughs> it was so dumb. God. Yeah. And so poorly casted. Oh, yeah. I mean, some, some, everything was bad. Yeah, now yeah. I'm not even going to say some things were decent because yeah. they weren't. <laughs> uh, okay, so who's your least favorite character and why is it Callahan? I mean, he's obviously the worst. Yeah, he is the obvious bad guy. I'd rather focus on uh, Stumpent. I can't remember. Stumpent. Stumpenito. Stumpenito. The uh, sentient police dog. Mm, okay. Because how dare they? No dog should be a police officer. Against its own will? Well, no, that's the thing. is like no dog would choose to be a police officer if it gains sentience. <laughs> it's like, what are you kidding? This is an abomination. Like, of all the things that are created and, like... Uh, people becoming other things. Well, and it, it would access all of like the history of police brutality against animals <laughs> and just be like, yeah. you know yeah. what? I'm going to break the cycle. Yeah, a lot I'm going to become a police officer. A lot officer. of dogs get shot by yeah. police. Uh, they yeah, do. yeah. There's, but there's, they, I don't think dogs have it in them to act. If they knew what they were doing and they didn't think they were just playing a game, like I don't think police dogs would ever go to work. <laughs> no, if a dog had sentience, it would, like, use its skills to become, like, a shit sommelier. It'd be like, yes, yes. this is the perfect shade of white dog shit. Yes. I think I'll check this out for this evening. Yes, thank you. Yeah, or they would find children in the snow or something. Like, that's the kind of job a dog would choose. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. It, would, it would be, hel- it would either be super dumb or super helpful. Yeah. Like, it, it would or both. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Was that Bark or Mark? It was, it was Mark for your yeah. podcast. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, would you undergo the genetic manipulations? Like, I, I mean, regardless of motivation, whether it's to, like, improve your body or whether it's to become more like the aliens. I don't think I would. Okay. I have a pretty strong sense of self and okay. physical being. The only way I think I would take it on as if it became necessary for survival. Sure. Like if the ozone layer broke down and we all had to have, like, 
uh, bionic lungs or something. Or, yeah, or just like uh, heart you would, skin. Yeah, like making your skin impenetrable to like the radiation that's coming through and everything. Sure. Uh, so something like that would that would force me to do it. Mm-hmm. That might be something, but. Uh, any other genetic mutation, I think I would turn down. You wouldn't be turning into mist. Well, see, that's that's what I was going to get to, is I would take a mechanical augmentation. Okay. Because, first of all, we've been doing that for a long time True. already. Uh, I, I would love to have surefire bionic lips. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Like, you have, like, no doubt about the functionality. Yes. But, <laughs> but so the other thing is, like, taking a genetic mutation on, it feels like you're physically altering who you are as a person, whereas mechanical augmentation is you're removing a part of yourself or replacing part of yourself. It's strictly biological, not mental. Right. Probably just a very personal opinion on the subject, but uh, changing yourself genetically feels Well, we are here in this car together to get intimate, Aaron. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's the sound booth. It's It's the the mobile sound booth. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I feel that. I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, Neuralink, that kind of stuff is cool to me. It'll never materialize. I mean, they can't even do, like, the fast charging stations at Tesla. Oh, So, you know, like, they have one floating off in space, and that's, like, the... When the aliens do go to check that out, they'll be like, oh, okay, they put a car out here. That's cool. Yeah. A part of the the genetic genetic mutation thing is... Uh, and they talk about it at the start of the graphic novel when he's, like, on the first arc or whatever. And it's, uh, there's people who do just, like, uh, they'll augment their genetics temporarily. Sure. To experience whatever that is like. Mm-hmm. And they're just, like... Like, I, augmented sight or other senses and things yeah, like that. Yeah, or, like, you have feathers instead of sure. hair or something like that. Sure. But I think uh, that will become obsolete once artificial uh, reality gets far enough along. Mm-hmm. Because you'll just be able to go into an artificial reality, experience it that way. And then never have to take it on genetically yourself. Yeah, so you mean like a holodeck kind of thing? Yes, where yeah. you'll be able to physically change yourself. Or like some sort of augmented reality. Yeah, you're, you'll be able to per- change your perception of reality mm-hmm. to like experience what life would be like with a lizard's eyes or something like that. Sure. Yeah. I think that that combined with our advancement of technology, like we're already seeing like telephoto contact lenses and, oh, yeah. and other like ways that technology is being directly integrated with our nervous system. So like... And other senses. So I, I think that we're yeah, about... The you know, Google maybe, Glasses Google, were an attempt, yeah. Sure, and I, I think that's a step in between insofar as, like, our more intimate relationship with technology from a perspective point of view, because, uh, like, we have this uh, one step removed from the square that we're the rectangle, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Because it, it's something that we interact with. If it's something that's, like, more directly tapped into our sensory... When it's projected on your cornea or something. That too, yeah. yeah or, like, a heads-up display inside the glass. Like, right. it's, it, I, I think that's going to bring us ever closer. Because, okay, you and I, we grew up, when the streetlights went on, yeah. you went home. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, like, you didn't call, there was no texting, there's none of this shit, like... You just had a signal. You just had a signal. Yeah. Now it's going to be, like... That signal is a direct, immediate impulse, like li- like a literal signal, yeah, from something that's going to be either implanted or like you know, because I, I just did Black Mirror with Josh Trio, talking about like the grain, you know, like all of this it, it, oh, technology yeah. that you, gets like you did all of Black Mirror or one yeah, episode? we did no, we did we covered Black Mirror. Oh, okay, well, Black Mirror covers everything. So. Sure, yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> but like, I, I think that that near future type of technology because. I, talking about Google Glass, uh, Spider Jerusalem's glasses record yeah. and take photos, and yeah, like, and have other functions even. Right? Yeah, yeah. So like heads up display, all sorts of shit, and like you know, so it's it's not. I don't think it's far out of reach, and the more it becomes second nature with our society, 
You know, like yeah. us growing up from the range of coming home when the streetlights come on to now being pretty, I mean, like, you know, like, have you used an Oculus before? Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I've I, looked through I, one. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty short time span. Right. Well, and that's like, that's one of the things I wanted to kind of touch on was the uh, amount of predictions that this book, when it came out, uh, could only like project in the future and like yeah. extrapolate what things were going to happen. It gets a lot of things surprisingly right because it ran through O two, right? Yeah, yeah, ninety seven like, O two. The some of the the caricatures of uh, like the Smiler, sure, is very Donald Trump esque, yes. which is oh fucking scary. Yes, <laughs> like how even though he it exposes is. why he shouldn't be president, they vote for him anyway. His yeah. t- his tirade about so the voting awful. is so fucking good. Even, like, with technologies, they're just like, we have this technology now. What if we took it, like, 20 steps further out, and then that's the future that Spider lives in? Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh, yeah, that's where it would go, obviously. If they ever, like, just continue advancing with it, that's where it's going to end up. We're just like, yeah. yeah. And, but it's like every technology we have is taken there, so it's all expanded out, and there's all these different technologies and things going on. Advancing technology for the sake of technology, or even for the sake of, like, an economic model, is going to be the downfall of our society. Because, yeah. like, look at just look at the amount of cars that we produce. Yeah. Or just look at the amount of anything that we produce. We do it in excess just to sustain a, uh, an unsustainable economic model. So, like, if it, like just to keep up with the Joneses, just, right? Yeah. Which nobody can afford to do anymore. No, at all. These gas prices. <laughs> no, I is, don't. Is pump number nine even working? <sighs> Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> uh, favorite quotes. My favorite quote of Spider Jerusalem. Uh, I think I kind of already touched on it, but it's, uh, I can't solve any problems. All I can do is try to make sure people can't avoid noticing them. It goes back to that, like, uh, I just want people to understand what the problems are and see them for what they are, and it's impossible. (laughs) It feels like in this day and age, there's no... There's no way, like, the truth has become so diluted in media that even somebody telling the truth doesn't get recognized for it. Yeah, well, so I think my quote speaks to that insofar as his perception of that reality. He says, "Have it's a note that he leaves, have gone to commit suicide, intend to return from grave Friday, feed cat. And he says to himself later, like, by four o'clock I've discounted suicide in favor of killing everyone else in the entire world instead. Yeah, because it's more feasible. Yeah, <laughs> to pull off. Yeah. yeah, that's a fairly solid Monday morning yeah. to afternoon arc for I would say most of us dredging through society. Yeah, because yeah, like sometimes you do just want to scream out and it feels like nobody's listening or like they're what? What can an individual do, right? And yeah. like we're we're so far gone that revolution is is compartmentalized into the recesses of our brain like uh, how how dare you stand up against tyranny like yeah it feels impossible yeah it feels impossible the first part of the book is about somebody trying to do a bullshit revolution and just like you're just diluting the waters for any real revolution that would ever come along (laughs) yeah no absolutely it made me think of like occupy yeah you know and shit like that and it's it's, it's, sometimes it feels so ineffectual even though there are attempts in earnest at disrupting the status quo they're very earnest but yeah they they get uh whether from outside forces or from inside they get diluted yeah and then it becomes impossible to tell what's what right yeah yeah absolutely well at at least at at least there haven't been any family annihilations that i know of from the occupy movement i mean like oh yeah we'll say this about leftists you know like if if they're if we're pussies that's fine that's great (laughs) you know like at least we're not out here fucking queuing things up yeah. Um, so, 
Alright, let's let's really get into the meat and potatoes here. Spider Jerusalem versus Hunter S. Thompson. Who ODs first? Uh, If they were going to go drug for drug. Oh, if they were just doing... Oh, I mean... Because Hunter S. Thompson on Hunter that future Thompson, drugs... Sure, though, but like, he, yeah, you know, he doesn't have any augmentations that'll help him deal with them. No, that's true. Yeah, well, he, he, would, he would take one future drug and die. He's... <laughs> But he would have so much fun doing it. He's got the liver, yeah. though, of a madman. So, I mean, oh, like, he might... A worn-out madman. Yeah. <laughs> so, here's the thing. When it comes to the two of them, I think Spider is a fun caricature of Hunter S. Thompson. Who sure. The writers had a fantastic time imagining what Hunter S. Thompson would do if he got up to future shenanigans and had access to, like, ridiculous technology, which is super fun to yes. read in this book. That, was, that I look, yeah. I read it through that lens, yeah. and boy, was it fun. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I've read, like, The Great Shark Hunt and other of his memoirs, and, of course, like, I've seen the, you know, where the Buffalo Realm and Fear and Loathing is just, like... Yeah, I, w- I would love to see him again. Yeah, just like plopped right into the middle of this scenario, <laughs> like, right? It's just but like he, uh, actually uncovered because he followed Nixon and well, he did. He, he talked with Nixon, but he followed McGovern's presidential run, right? <laughs> just to be like, dude, this is what you're doing, seriously. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> so I don't know. You know more about Hunter S. Thompson than I do, so maybe you'll know this better than I do. But it feels like it's not an accurate portrayal. Mm. Of what he would be like in the future. No, Spider's definitely got his own vibe. Yeah. Uh, of the actual Hunter S. Thompson, it is an accurate portrayal of the legend of Hunter S. Thompson. Yes. Yeah. Because he yeah. he is known to most people through his legend, not like his actual writing or his, who he was as a person. Sure. Yeah, I could I couldn't agree with that more. And I, I think that if you were to compare Fear and Loathing versus Where the Buffalo Run, like the Fear and Loathing Johnny Depp version is the caricature of Hunter S. Thompson, where the Buffalo Realm actually looks into, like, the drunkenness and psychoses and kind of craziness that I feel more from his memoirs, like, of his own accounts. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting take, but Spider has his own vibe for sure. He's younger and, like, more punkish. Definitely. And he's kind of country because he goes, like, out in the woods every once in a while, but he's definitely a city person, too. I can see him shooting off guns in the middle of the night for sure. Oh, yeah. But, well, speaking of which, his bowel disruptor. Oh. It's, it's yeah, probably yeah. my favorite weapon. It's not necessarily a weapon. It's more like a self-defense. Yeah, it's like, a stun gun uh, that makes people poop. <laughs> yeah, it makes them shit their pants. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah, it's like a brown note in your and, pocket. See, that's what's fun. It's like the legend. Hunter S. Thompson's legend would definitely carry one of those. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It would look like a pistol, but like when he fired it, like she like a bang, but also like a sonic yeah. like you know poop disruptor. And if people go. Huh! Oh no! Yeah. Oh no! Oh no! And then they yeah. run away. Yeah. <laughs> Just so we're clear, uh, the bowel disruptor is yes. a poop gun. It makes people poop. Yes, that it, <laughs> you it point is. it at them, you shoot them, and they have to go poop immediately. It is a poop. It's gun. very fun. <laughs> yeah. it's, I, people say like, all right, like Desert Island. What would you bring? <laughs> oh, if we're doing imaginary shit. Yeah. Well, well okay. Yeah, that's and fair. I just yeah. like pointed at crabs, just like <laughs> you know, little crab. Oh, I wonder what a crab poop is like. I don't know. I would figure it's a lot like a shrimp poop. It probably, oh, yeah, it just comes out in a little line little or whatever. Rope. Yeah, most most fish are, are like, like, uh, they have little lines, marine. little ropes. Or yeah, ropey, ropes it's pretty ropey, yeah. yeah. The Same small, with amphibians. The smallest shit I ever saw, I saw a hummingbird shit one time. Oh. It was like a baby miracle. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even sure I actually saw it, but in my head, I'm like, I saw a shit, I saw a hummingbird. Not a lot of animals in... Transmet, except for the two-faced cat that pisses everywhere. What's its yes. name again? I, the cat. The cat. Yeah. yeah. 
It's got like two faces. Yeah. It's very feral when yeah. he finds it. And he takes it home and just like has a feral, two faced, pissing everywhere cat. It's in his fantastic. House. Yeah. <laughs> it pisses on his face. Yeah. Like, well, because yeah. he, he's passed out from drug use. Oh. Yeah. You, I think you're right. It, it, you know, HST would take one of the, like, one sniff of that future shit. It just would be like, yeah. <laughs> done. Well, it's, yeah, it's designed for people who have built up ridiculous yeah. tolerance to all kinds of crazy shit that's been developed that's true yeah it's like i was talking about technology has been extrapolated yeah uh, 20 times out oh it's, dude. It's same with drugs yeah like, drugs would be you would experience death and be reborn again and then wake up 20 minutes later well and and sexuality is all and perversion is also exacerbated like talk about like the filth of the city i mean there, there's a lot going on there and so far oh, i was yeah. like it's a uh, seediest it's like the grossest porn that yeah. you can imagine on the internet is in this city or in or like if this city was real the whole dolls thing too yeah it's it's just it's sometimes it's a rough read oh yeah i mean like because it's a very mature right series but yeah it's it's like any perversion anybody it's like that with the rule 34 where like any perversion somebody can think up it's gonna be there it, yeah absolutely yeah, and it, but it's like the yeah. technology exists to make anything you want exists then that's going to be there too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and, and it, I definitely think it speaks to that perversion of technology and like the how it expands the human mind in ways that we may not intend. Oh yeah, I mean, sexuality has been extrapolated yeah. 20, twenty times. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Perversion has been extrapolated. It's like it goes beyond insane. Jeffrey Epstein would love it. Oh yeah, big well, fan. That's like uh, <laughs> have you touched on preacher at all? Uh, I haven't read Preacher. I saw part of the actual live oh, action the, yeah, series, live. which was, I, from what I've heard, was pretty well adapted. And I have, that's not, so I haven't really read the series. I've read one off uh, issues that like a friend of has okay. had. So like I haven't given it justice, but like it, it is a fantastic series. And it, what it is. It's yeah. very perverted at points too. Then there's yeah, that's true. There's one thing that always sticks out in my head and is gory. This, yes, very gory, incredibly gory. There's this guy who uh, runs a meatpacking facility or owns a meatpacking company mm. or a, a butcher company, whatever you want to call it. But, like, he's so far gone in his insanity to meat. Like, he constructs a giant goddess out of, like, uh, cow carcasses and then proceeds to, like, try and fuck it. <laughs> it's just like, that's the kind of perversion that's just like. That's two generations right. out. This is, we're talking 20 generations. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it, it can get pretty heinous. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's that level of corruption that Spider, you know, kind of uses his skills to fight against. And that's that's the main piece. I mean, like, it kind of ends with him, you know, he, he, he does oust Callahan. He is victorious. He is victorious. As much as you can be in that situation. And yeah. that last little nod where he does actually light the cigarette. Oh, because he's, yeah. he's, he's one of the 1% that survives this random, which I think is definitely a Hunter S. Thompson-esque, like, oh, yeah. thing, you know what I mean? Like, because yeah, it's, it's those luck. guys who will li who do live to 102, like, know, smoking I, cigarettes every day. Not to say the HST did, but like. No, I had an uncle that was it was insane that he like he dredged uh channels for a living and then but he was just like it's all, an all job. yeah all muscle sinew and bone and that was yeah. it he could do pull-ups from sun up to sundown and never tire sure. it, was, it was almost like he was genetically modified like and some people there are like have you ever seen that uh lee not lee prior herbie oswald who's the creator of marvel comics <laughs> 
Stanley. Stanley. <laughs> yes, famously, <laughs> leave Harvey Oswald. Oh, yeah. So Stan, Stanley had that show about like superhuman people that already exist in the world. Yeah, I just I, like I've seen it on an airplane. Yes. Yeah, my, my uncle could have been on that easy. It's just like okay. I don't know, like, like the magnetic guy and the guy who can be in the snow forever. Yeah, like, like my yeah. my like my uncle just had this like insane ability for endurance mm. and just like I don't know, he was also crazy, which further leads me to believe that he was uh, some kind of genetic alteration. Yeah, it's uh, like Rain Man meets. Forrest Gump. Yeah, but for muscles. <laughs> oh, no, hey, he, he ran across. Yeah, 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 he was yeah, very yeah, strong, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's... Yeah. I just don't know if he was even aware of limitations. No. Yeah, like, uh, not Mr. Glass. The other, the other guy. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bruce Willis's Bruce character. Willis's yeah. character is just, like, he only notices that he's a superhero when it finally, like, he tries That's, uh, that's to unbreakable, folks. Yeah. That's, we're now shifting yeah. to yet another thing away from Transmetropolitan. No, I'm sorry. All right, so, Aaron, yeah. <laughs> let me ask you this. What, what's coming up in your comedy schedule? Uh, funny Jazz Talk at Haymaker on the 21st, and the following day I'm at uh, Comedy Corral at the Lilo Tavern on the 22nd. Uh, and that's all I've got booked up so far. That's, that's not a great show. super far away. And, so. and we're about to hear you at Groaners. Yes. Here at Funhouse Lounge, which is where we're at, folks. We're sat outside Funhouse Lounge. Uh, check out FunhouseSounds.com. Uh, do check out Bat Musical. They're both fantastic. They're fantastic. I mean, yeah. you know, there, there's also Butter. There's Leave Your Troubles at the Door. Dark Web Tonight. There's Dark Web Tonight. I mean, you know, definitely go to FunhouseSounds.com. You will always find something fun to do there. And uh, what what mics? What what would you say is is oh, not... I, the ones I can make are usually Haymaker. Yeah, Haymaker's uh, fun. That's a fun one every time. There's a good audience there. And then, uh, I mean, the helium mic is yeah. is very fun every time, and we need more people to. It just came back recently, and yeah. uh, we need uh, seats filled again to get back to where it was. Yes, go to helium. I will be going there on Tuesday. Yeah, I'll be seating you, and then hopefully performing after that. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually uh, I'm talking with Charlie Arnell about the Expanse. Oh, nice. Yeah, okay. that's that's another doozy. Yeah, but there's like there's drama with the cast and everything too on that show, and yeah. There's uh, but the the sci-fi of it is very good. Yeah, and like I was, I liked the first season of that just because it was like, oh yeah, this is way more accurate to what space travel will be like in the future than like Star Trek or Star Wars. Or I, I do dig that. I, I like it when they have an accurate depiction of like explosions and decompression and stuff like that in space, and it's not all cinematic and dramatic and what have you. So or like, like easy, like uh, oh, we have gravity machines right. that make everybody yeah. stand right. right. Yeah, it's it's all, more. All, although that would be a feature of the far purge. Yeah, yeah, like long term yeah. space. Right, it, it would They'll, have to like artificial gravity. gravity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The first thing that I ever saw that was not that portrayed, like, what actual space travel would be like uh, initially was Cowboy Bebop, which is mm. an all-time classic, too. But yeah, yeah that's why the only reason I always appreciated that show a lot. All right, quick question to end yeah. this. How did you feel about the Netflix adaptation? Of Cowboy Bebop? Yes. Um, I didn't watch it because okay. I like the original so much. And I, I heard... may have to circle back okay. on Cowboy Bebop. That'd be great. Okay. Um, but yeah, I people I respect said they liked it, yeah. so I, I'll, I'll probably check it out eventually when I'm bored. I did like it, and I'm actually relatively sad that they didn't continue it. So was the the people that I've, okay. uh, talked to that liked it. They were well, like, "What are you talking about?" You know what? It's it's yeah. canon now. Next time we're talking Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> Perfect. Cowboy Bebop is a show I used to run with my friend Jamie Carbone. That's how you know I like Cowboy Bebop so much. <laughs> nice, <laughs> Aaron. And thank you again for joining me. We're gonna go hit Groners. Yes, I'm gonna check it out. Funhouselodge.com.
Always a fun time hanging out with Aaron. Thanks again for introducing me to this amazing series. Definitely going to source an absolute edition for my collection. In the meantime, again, do yourself a favor and check out FunhouseLounge.com for an amazing variety of comedy shows right here in the heart of Southeast Portland, Oregon. You know, we've definitely gotten into the concept of dystopian futures here on Science Factual before, and we've definitely also talked about how I have a deep desire to fuse myself with technology, but we've never truly taken a dive into the realm of transhumanism. So for this week's water cooler facts, let's look beyond the human form into what might be, courtesy of the folks over at whatistranshumanism.org. By the way, the meeting is in the basement of the JCC after they close. Somebody needs to bring the extra Oreos and Pedialyte. Transhumanism is a way of thinking about the future that is based on the premise that the human species in its current form does not represent the end of our development, but rather a comparatively early phase. Transhumanism can be viewed as an extension of humanism from which it is partially derived. Humanists believe that humans matter, that individuals matter. We might not be perfect, but we can make things better by promoting rational thinking, freedom, tolerance, democracy, and concern for our fellow human beings. Wouldn't that be nice? Transhumanists agree with this, but also emphasize that we have the potential to become more. Just as we use rational means to improve the human condition and the external world, we can also use such means to improve ourselves, the human organism. In doing so, we are not limited to traditional humanistic methods such as education and cultural development. We can also use technological means that will eventually enable us to move beyond what some would think of as human. Riveting stuff, but what does the timeline look like? Yahoo Finance picks up the slack with this compelling piece. Human beings will be very different in just over three decades' time, when we'll be gold-skinned immortal cyborgs. That's the startling prediction of one futurologist, who says that technology will cause us to evolve into a new species over the next few decades. Human beings will effectively become immortal as we gain the ability to upload our minds into computers and download them into new robotic bodies. The predictions, based on academic research, were made by futurologist Dr. Ian Pearson for the Big Bang Science Fair way back in 2016. Dr. Pearson says that by 2050, people will be able to connect their brains directly to computers and could move their mind into an improved android body. Awesome. So just 28 more years of trudging it out, and uh, it's going to be available to everyone, right? Can't wait. I'd like to thank my sources for today's episode. We have the aforementioned whatistranshumanism.org. Make sure you pick up your trackers in the mail, as well as futurism.com, screenrant.com, and of course, wikipedia.com. Because if it's on Wikipedia, it must be true. Boy, am I stoked for next week's episode, because we take a trip back into TV land with a dive into The Expanse with guest comedian Charlie Arnell Jr., we talk about the Sci-Fi Channel staple and the books they're based off of before the Helium Comedy Club open mic in Portland, Oregon. That episode airs Tuesday, September 27th from 8 to 9 a.m. only on Shady Pines Radio. Download the Shady Pines Radio app today for amazing content by super talented folks 24 hours a day, 8 days a week. Before we head on out of here, get your daily dose of the yucks from Aaron Harleman. Enjoy.
Ben Holloman. What up, Helium? I'm from the Dirty South. Anybody ever been? Been down to the Dirty South? Fuck yeah. Down to Medford. Let's go. Hell yeah. We got that good show. We got that factory where they make white people with dreads. It's a good spot. They got a lot of economy coming out of that spot. It's good. We got that, we got that, uh, we got that good artisanal meth. If it didn't come from Medford, it's not meth. That's what we say down there. We got that new January 6th memorial just went up. That's good. It was weird they put it up on the 5th, but we still got it. You know, it's fine. Oh, boy. Okay, it's... Uh, Let's talk about it. Toxic masculinity, kind of fucked up if you think about it, you know what I mean? Which is why you shouldn't think about it, because thinking's for pussies. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't like that term, though. Toxic masculinity, that's a stupid fucking term. Give me something cool like Kid Rock Disease or... <laughs> a little, little Limb Biscuit Syndrome, you know? That'd be cool. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite, Joe Rogan Burgers. <laughs> That's just fun. <laughs> That's just fun. God damn. Uh, uh, where's my couples at tonight? We got couples in the audience? Yeah. Only, a, only a few of you good, because I fucking hate you. <laughs> I had a long, lonely pandemic, let me tell you what. And it was just fucking all alone. I had to do something about it. I went online, like a lot of people did. I got something. I bought a silicone ass, okay? <laughs> a silicone ass. Not for anything weird. Just for, like, fucking and stuff, okay? <laughs> Just the good stuff, you know? But it wasn't, like, it was good, but it didn't alleviate the loneliness like I thought it would, you know, because I need more out of somebody, you know? So I went online, and again, I bought, uh, what do you call them, a big pair of googly eyes. <laughs> now we can really connect. It's perfect. Well, it's not perfect, right? Because, like, now every time I start going too hard, she starts rolling her eyes at me. <laughs> Just a fantastic googly eye joke. Thank you very much. Just fucking. God damn. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Man, you guys are looking fucking good. Yeah. I don't know. Let's fucking. Maybe I won't be so lonely after tonight. I'm just saying. Uh, no. Uh, uh, I don't know where I'm at, but if you guys, let me ask you this, Helium. Have you been respecting the troops, huh? <laughs> Nobody respecting the troops? I was in the Marine Corps, okay? I've been around a lot of the troops, and I'm here to tell you, you do not have to respect those motherfuckers. <laughs> I've seen a lot of them, okay? It's so easy to be in the Marine Corps. The movie's like a look hard. It's not hard. It's not. I, when stationed in Fallujah, Iraq, had air conditioning and internet access, and I had so much time on my hands, I made a Magic the Gathering deck, okay? A Magic the Gathering deck, and I emailed it to a buddy back in the States that he won a tournament with it, okay? And I would like to take the opportunity to thank everybody here for the tax dollars that made that happen. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Pat on the back. What do you get for your dollar? Here's what you get for your dollar. Next time somebody comes up to you and goes, hey, we didn't accomplish anything in Iraq. You just be like, what about that sick-ass red-green deck that Corporal Harleman dreamed of? Don't tell me that was nothing. <laughs> That's good stuff. Oh, boy. Uh, I, was a, I was a combat illustrator in the Marine Corps. Uh, 
Yeah, what the fuck is that everybody I've ever told has asked me? I'll tell you what it is. It's a lot of photoshopping tits onto Saddam, okay? <laughs> you might have seen my work in the early 2000s. It was going around. <laughs> this fucking... Oh. I'm going to... It's a competition. I shouldn't do this because it's going to bring the whole room down. But I'm going to do it anyway because I love this. I was the deadliest thing in the Marine Corps, okay? Because the ability to dehumanize the enemy, to make them easier to kill, mwah, the Marine Corps loves it. All right, I was absolutely right. That was not good. <laughs> I know what I'm doing. I just don't like doing it sometimes. <laughs> Goddamn. Uh, uh, speaking of tits and fucking... I know we've all been a little distracted during my set, okay? Because... I mean, you're looking at them. My nipples are always this hard. <laughs> they are. It's not like... It was never really a problem until Marine Corps boot camp, right? When like a month in, a drill instructor notices, and he comes up to me, he's like... Sir, you're correct in your assessment of the weather. <laughs> you talking about three hundred? No, sir. What the fuck? Did? Are your nipples hard or too hard? Uh, right now, yes, a little, a little, sir. <laughs> Well, sir, currently somebody's looking at him real hard and yelling right at him. <laughs> what the fuck did you say to me, Hollywood? Man, watch your fucking mouth. Actually, you know what, Hollywood? Let me get a closer look at him. What? You better pop that fucking shit off, Hollywood. Right, right now, sir? Big-ass Hershey-ass nipples you got right down. I don't know how you turned Cajun all of a sudden. <laughs> all right. I got Where the fuck? Right. I got to get out of here. You guys have a good night. Hey, folks. This is Michael Phelps, host of Father's Favorites and the Comedy Open Mic at my father's place, conveniently located at 523 Southeast Grand Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Mic sign-ups are Fridays at 8.30 p.m. Come on by for some awesome breakfast food, great drinks, and the best comedians Portland and the Pacific Northwest has to offer. In the meantime, make sure you follow Science Factual on the socials. That's at Science Factual Pod, as well as Shady Pines Radio for amazing content 24 hours a day, 8 days a week. Download the app today wherever you procure your apps.